All right, we're in a brand new series we're calling Rooted, and it's all about being rooted in Christ so that the fruit of Christ will be seen in our lives. Are you ready for that? So if you haven't already done so, let's find your Bibles or your tablet, and let's open to the book of Galatians, please, Galatians chapter 5, that's where we're going to start today. I'm actually going to give you two sermons for the price of one today, is that okay? Two sermons for the price of one, all right. Um, oh yeah, right, forget it. Anyway, uh, Galatians chapter 5 is where we will start today. There's also an app on your phone, Three Crosses app. If you haven't downloaded it, you can take some notes. Might be helpful for you today. Uh, we're gonna start off here in Galatians 5, which is uh, a beautiful passage of scripture that reminds us about what this series is about, the fruit of the spirit, okay? And, uh, and th the cool thing is, the root determines the fruit, right? So if you're connected to Christ, if Jesus lives in your heart, if you belong to Jesus, then the fruit of his spirit is going to come out in your life. Now, we've been in a series uh, called Godspeed for the last several weeks, and that's a beautiful series, and I think it's great that we're going to spend more weeks thinking about the work of the Spirit of God in our lives, because I think the Spirit is often neglected. We are uh, good at thinking about Jesus, we're good about thinking about the Father, but the Spirit sometimes gets left aside, and, and so this is going to be a great series on just what the work of the Spirit is in our lives. And really, the bottom line to this whole thing is how the Holy Spirit wants to transform our character to be more like Christ. That's really the issue. Because uh, Jesus doesn't want us to become just more learned in Scripture. He doesn't want us to know more, necessarily. Uh, the point is we, we can become more like Him. That's the beautiful thing. We can become more like Jesus. And I, for one, want to be more like Jesus. How many want to be more like Jesus here today? Okay, good. Well, most of us. Okay, good. Um, we've got some new folks. That's great. And by the way, you'll probably hear some kids in the service today. Our family camp's going up. Uh, they're up. Oh, that's, that's often the way I feel when I'm preaching. I just want you to know that right now. That that's often the way I feel. Bless you, Mom. Thank you so much for that. Um, it's terrible to be a kid and have to sit in a service like this. Can we just say that? That's why we have great kids ministries, a wonderful thing. Anyway, our family camp's going on today, so our kids ministry's kind of shut down a little bit, so we got kids in service, and now oh, look, they're, go they're going out of here like crazy. I'm not telling you to leave. You can stay, it's all right. <laughs> you can stay, it's okay. Okay, where are we? So, the fruit of the Spirit. You know, it's amazing, when you come to know Christ, Immediately, God goes to work through his spirit, making you more like Jesus. And we saw last week in a little preview message, 2 Corinthians 3.18, and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. That's 2 Corinthians 3.18. And that's the promise that God wants to make us into the image of his son. And the way that happens is through the work of his spirit. If you're filled with the spirit, you're gonna be more like Jesus. And your family will thank you. <laughs> and your employer will thank you. And the people in your neighborhood will thank you. And they won't even know why they're thanking you, but you will be a person that will become more and more like the person of Jesus Christ. And that is worth everything. Now. Uh, we're going to jump right in here today. Let me read the text, starting verse 16 of Galatians 5. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you 
are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Okay. So in this series, we are going to unpack what Paul says about the fruit of the Spirit in verses 22 and 23. And we see that that fruit there is comprised of nine different virtues. And if you want just a little comparison, there's nine virtues compared to the vices that we see in verses 19 through 21, which we'll touch on in just a moment. The point is, God wants us to believe that we are capable, this is the big idea, if you're taking notes, big idea, we are capable of the same kind of fruit seen in the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. Now, some of you don't believe that, or you thought, there's no way, especially when you think back on this last week, what you said, what you did, where you stumbled in your life, you think, there's no way I I can actually bear the same kind of fruit seen in the life of Jesus Christ, and yet, This passage promises us that the fruit of the Spirit, if we're connected to the root, the fruit is going to come. Now, it's really important that we look at a couple things about this little text that is really, really important. Let's look at it under the category of bearing this kind of fruit. uh, Fruitfulness results from what the Bible refers to as living by the Spirit. There's this beautiful phrase here. So I say, Paul writes, verse 16, so I say, walk by the Spirit. And then down to verse 25, Uh, Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Uh, All of this is housed under this idea of living by the Spirit. Now, there are three things I want to point out really quickly. Number one, living by the Spirit is going to demand a choice to be made. Everybody say the word choice. A choice to be made. Verse 16, Paul writes, I say, walk by the Spirit. Some of your translations use the word live by the Spirit. The Greek word is peripatee. It means the cadence of our lives. It means the choices that we make in our lives. It's the way of our walk. And some of us today are walking with the Spirit or by the Spirit's power. And some of us are walking by the Spirit of our flesh, by the things that we just want to do. And that's why I point out at the very beginning, if we want to see the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, there's got to be a choice made. There's got to be a choice made. Now, we make choices from the moment we wake up. The first choice we make is, will I get out of bed? Right? And some of us are really good with hitting the snooze button or just kind of ignoring the alarm. But it starts with when we wake up, what choices are we going to make? And we make a series of choices. Then we put our feet on the ground. Am I going to acknowledge the Lordship of Christ in my life today? 
Am I gonna sit my eyes before the word of God and listen for what he wants for me today? Even if it's just for a moment to kind of get my focus where it needs to be. Am I gonna offer up a prayer to the Lord? Lord, use me today. Let me be a champion of your causes. Let me be zealous for your honor. Let me, you know, just an honorable, a sense of, God, what do you wanna do in my life today? Maybe on your way to work, you kind of tune into some uh, sermons or teaching of the Bible, some podcasts, or maybe it's uh, Christian music, or I don't know how you center your life, but so that when you hit your work day or whatever it is you're doing in your day, you are filled and ready, empowered by the Spirit of God to be His witness and to, uh, to emanate His qualities, the quality of Christ in our life, the character transformation that is needed in all of our lives. First thing is a choice. The second thing is there's a conflict to be managed. A conflict to be managed. And you see that there in verse 17. He says, for the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. Now, the flesh there, that's a word that Paul uses, the Apostle Paul, often in his writings to describe our old nature. Okay, so it's not just your body. Your bodies are good. It's a great, God, God's created our bodies. Praise God for our bodies. But when he talks about our flesh, he's talking about our old nature, what we were like before we came to know Christ. And the, the way we were before we came to know Christ is verses 19 through 21. We've got all this sin that's just ready to go. You don't have to teach people to be impure or to be immoral or to uh, have discord or hatred or jealousy or fits of rage. Look around. Our culture is filled with people who are just living out the way they live. And that's what comes out. When you're not empowered and controlled by the spirit of the living God, that's the natural stuff that comes. So we don't scratch our heads and say, how can people be so evil? They're just acting in accordance with their nature. Really, that's what's going on. And there's variations of that and there's degrees of that, of course. Um, and I love how Paul ends that little you know, list, litany of, of evil deeds. He says in verse 21, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and then look at that, and the like, which means there's a lot more. <laughs> We could fill in a lot more things here. I'm just tired of writing about it. There's all this stuff that's going on, Paul's probably thinking in his mind. We don't have to teach ourselves that. That's the character of our lives before we come to Christ. The Bible says our hearts are wicked. They're desperately wicked. You might be a good person, good person, but in comparison to God, we're nothing. We're dropping the bucket. We're filthy rags. We don't really have anything to offer God. Our, our lives outside of Christ we might have good motives or good intentions, but we can never measure up. And the only way that God can turn that or pivot that is when we come to know Christ and his spirit begin to work in our lives. And he bears out this beautiful fruit. Which brings us to the last thing I want to point out quickly before we pivot and go to the next sermon. And that is uh, verses 18 and 22 through 24. Living by the Spirit introduces a clarification which we must be mindful of. And the clarification there is is that living by the Spirit isn't just another form of legalism. Paul's not describing just another to-do list, a checkbox. He's describing a fruitful way of life. This can be your life and my life. Every single day, every minute of the day, in every circumstance we're in, with every person we encounter, with every thought, with every word that we speak, we can be under the beautiful control and filling of the Spirit of God in our lives. And when that happens, our lives are in a character transformation. Now I want to cut one little, uh, you know, sort of practical thing here. I hear people sometimes describe the fruit of the Spirit in the plural form, the fruits of the Spirit. 
And I just want to be clear that the text uses singular when Paul writes about the fruit of the Spirit. He doesn't say fruits, he says fruit. And I'm a little bit of a stickler about that, and here's why. Because all of these virtues that come with being under the control of the Spirit in our lives come as a package deal. They don't come one, uh, one by themselves. Which means, if you feel like, well, I'm a loving person, but man, I'm really not very uh, joyful all the time. Or I'm loving, but I don't have a lot of self-control. Or I'm kind, but I don't, I'm not very gentle. I don't know. You could fill in the blank. If you think you're one, but you're not the other, it's, you're not understanding what the Spirit of God wants to do when you're connected to the root. The fruit is all nine of these attributes. So it's not like we get just a little portion of one and then we, you know, we major in one and we minor in another. Or we might not have any of the others. We just have one. No, we have the fruit, which is all of them. And I point that out so you just kind of listen carefully. People in the lobby this morning after both services have been saying, Larry, I appreciate the fruit of the Spirit. You know, they're very articulate about that. And I'm glad because it is the fruit. It's singular with nine different attributes. Okay, you got that? All right, now, the fruit of the Spirit is comprised of these attributes, these virtues, that starts with love. So we're going to take the next whatever we've got here. We've got 20 minutes left where I can talk to you about love. And what we're going to do in this series is we're going to drop into the life of Jesus. Because if there's anybody that was filled with the fruit of the Spirit, it would be Jesus. Wouldn't you agree? So we should be able to see in Jesus' life what this looks like, or in his teachings what it looks like, which would be mirrored in his life as well. So let's talk about love today. Take your Bibles and let's go over to John chapter 13, please. New text, John chapter 13. And I love this. This is one of my favorite chapters in the Gospel of John. And you know the story. We're not going to read the entire story, but I want to begin in verse 1 that sets the stage. This is just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that his hour had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Uh, the Greek phrase there is ace telos, which some have thought means he loved them all the way to the end of his life. That's not what ace telos means. What ace telos means is that he loved them to the full extent of his love. That's why the new NIV says he loved them to the end, to the uttermost. You could actually write in your own Bibles there, uh, the love of Jesus is limitless. His love is limitless. And those of us who know Christ today, if we're connected to the root, we have a source of limitless love. Now the reality is most people in our culture don't think of Christ followers as being loving. We've got kind of a, a little bit of a black eye. People look at us and they think we're, you know, we're fill in the blank. We're haters, we're judges, we, we, we're miserly, we're petty. We got, this is the reputation of we're hypocrites. In our culture, this is the way the world oftentimes looks at those of us who call, we who call ourselves followers of Christ. And, you know, we've given them some good evidence for that. You know, it's not... It's not entirely out of whack that the culture looks at us this way because there are many of us that really don't carry the character of Jesus. Oh, we come, we worship, we praise God, and then we go back out into our day. We're terrible neighbors. We're terrible workers at our job sites. You know, our language is terrible. We, we gossip. We're hate, we are haters sometimes. 
And that's the, the reality. And that means that we're not really being controlled or led by the Spirit of God. And what happens in this passage, what we're going to see Jesus do, if we jump ahead a little bit, Jesus is at this Passover meal. He's with his disciples. And in verse 4 it says he got up from the meal. He took off his outer clothing. That means he took off his robe. He's wearing like this long t-shirt kind of thing. He wraps a towel around his waist. And after that he poured water into a basin. He began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that he had wrapped around him. And he comes to Simon Peter. And you know the story. Uh, he's going to wash Simon's feet and Peter says no uh, he asks are you going to wash my feet and Jesus says you don't realize what I'm doing but you're going to realize at some point so just hang on here let me do this and, and we're going to see why Peter objects to this but then Jesus says uh, Peter says no you're not going to do it and Jesus says in verse 8 unless I wash you you have no part with me <laughs> so, G- so Peter says okay Lord everything head down to feet everything please and then verse 10 Jesus clarifies, he says, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet, their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not all of you. And he's talking about Judas there. And then when he finishes washing their feet, he puts on his clothes, he returned to his place, and he says, do you understand what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Now, this is so beautiful. Okay, what I see, I see four things about the love of Jesus here that are so practical, so beautiful, and it's, it's what happens when we're tuned to the Spirit of God. Okay, if you're taking notes, the first thing I want you to see is, and, and, and what we're getting down to here, is this beautiful idea of bearing this kind of fruitfulness means that we will love as Jesus loved. And I want to teach you quickly four ways that we love as Jesus loved when we're empowered by the Spirit of God. He starts off in verse, uh, and I didn't read it, but if you drop down to verse 34, Jesus says, a new command I give to you, love one another. As I have loved you, you must love one another. And everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Wow, so this new command, the, the word new there in the Greek language is not new as in never existed before. It's the idea of a fresh awareness. Jesus is saying, look, you know you're, it's important to love each other. But I'm telling you, you ought to love the way I'm loving you right now. I want you to follow the way I'm loving you, Jesus says. And how does he do that? Well, first of all, if you're taking notes, love is marked by an other's centeredness in our lives. Jesus is aware of something in the room that nobody else was aware of. And that is that when they had come in to eat of the Passover meal, nobody thought it would be right to actually become the house servant because they had used this room. It was kind of a rented room that Jesus had arranged. He comes there and none of the disciples did what was customary in that day that when you walked into a place to eat into someone's home, the house servant or the owner of the house would get down and wash your feet because your feet have been dusty. You've had a bath, hopefully, but your feet needs to be washed. And Jesus is thinking about them and nobody has done it. Nobody's thought about anyone else. They've all thought about themselves. In fact, Luke tells us in Luke 22, it's recorded that when they were coming into this room, the disciples are arguing about who is the greatest among them. That's the stage of this meeting. 
Who's the greatest? I'm greater. No, I'm greater. Shut up. I'm greater than, you know, like, I don't know. I don't know how it was coming out. But they were all bragging about how great they were. And Jesus, noticing how into themselves they were, gets up from the meal and he takes on the form of a servant. But before I get to that, let's just sit for a minute and think about what it means to be others-centered. I love my friend Steve. He, uh, he comes to our men's ministry. He's kind of all around our church campus. He's involved in so many areas. And about once every couple of weeks, I get an email from him describing the people that he's met and the way he has invested in them. And it's only because he wants me to know how to pray for people and because he's praying for them. And this last week, I got another email from a guy. From, he had met a guy in the prayer room and that guy came to Dom Patrol and that guy was brought up to kind of a little interview time with Pastor Mark at Dom Patrol, which was a great experience and afterwards, he saw me talking to this young man, and so he writes me this email. Oh, I was so grateful because, you know, this young man, he talks about how when he met him in the prayer room, all the problems he was going through, all this guy, all Steve, my friend, thinks about is others. He leaves our prayer room early in the morning to go pick up people for church that he's promised to bring. He's just always thinking about others, and I love that about Steve because He's just an amazing guy that way. I think of Judy, who works in our prayer room, who is often telling me or, or uh, sharing with me ways that people that she knows and herself has helped people with needs that they have as they come into that prayer room. It's just a joy in their heart. I think about Mike, who's one of our ushers, who uh, last week after the message stopped me on the way out of church, and he was just a, his face was just, he was really burdened. And he goes, Pastor Larry, I just don't know what to do with this burden I have about the refugee situation. And he started talking about all of that. And, and if you've been following the news, you know it's tough. But he, I've been having dreams, he said, about it. I don't know what to do. Can we do anything? And so we talked about it. We had some prayer. But he's just, all he's thinking about is others. You know, it's really our, our, our default is not to think about others. We need a supernatural change in our lives to start thinking about others. And so I want you to think about that this morning. You know, you come into church. Have you been aware of the people around you? Are there, is there a sense of other people's needs? You know, uh, sometimes we're just a little bit tuned out of that. We're conscious in a service like this, there are new people here today. I'll meet some of those new people afterwards, maybe in the lobby. And sometimes this happens. Sometimes I'm in the lobby talking to a new person and one of you, one of us comes up, wants to tell me something and, and this person's invisible. And so I'll stop them. Oh, uh, John, uh, meet Sam. And, hey, Sam. And then they go right back to me. It's just like, whoa, we're missing an opportunity to just think of somebody else. When you look around and see people that you don't recognize, do you initiate? Do you go out of your way perhaps to talk to somebody, to reach out, to be some way a part of their life? It's an other-centeredness that is so important you know some of you think of me as an extrovert because you know you always I'm, I'm always talking for one um and and i i can be sort of outgoing at times but my my real nature is actually i'm an introvert i actually get filled up and restored when i'm by myself um when i'm around crowds of people it's it's a challenge for me but here's the deal and i just say this uh, the, i believe the spirit of god has moved me out of my comfort zone enough in my life to realize how beautiful it is when I start thinking about other people and not be so thoughtful about myself. And I don't mean that as sort of like, you know, like all great about me. I'm just saying I've learned this process where if I'm leaning into the Spirit of God, I kind of get out of my agenda and I kind of get into somebody else's agenda. And you know what happens to me? 
anybody I connect with and anybody I meet, I fall in love with them. I do. I look around this morning, all these people that I truly love. And you know what God wants to do in your life? He wants, he wants to give you a spirit of love for people around you, to care for people around you that you wouldn't normally do because your default is not to be. You need a supernatural power to do that. And when you have the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, you're going to have an other's centeredness in your life. And that changes a workplace, that changes a neighborhood, that changes a church when people are just consumed with others. Turn to the person next to you and say, you could love more. Would you do that? You could, you could love more. Now, now, don't shake your finger at them. This is not a judgment statement. This is an encouragement statement. We could love better. We could love better when the Spirit of God, when the Spirit of God energizes us to think of others before we think of ourselves. Let's put Philippians 2, 3 on the screen. Read it with me out loud. Ready? Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. I love that. Real love is marked by an other-centeredness. We see this in the life of Jesus. Secondly, real love is marked by humble service. So, verse 4, Jesus gets up from the meal. He takes off his outer clothing, wraps a towel around himself, and begins to pour water in a basin. Jesus takes on the form of a humble servant the house slave. If you were a Jew, you didn't even want to have a Jewish person do this. You would hope to have a Gentile in your house because it would seem too lowly for a Jew to do this. And Jesus, the creator of the universe, the one who made everything, including our own lives, puts a towel around his waist and he kneels before us. Wow. Humble service. I remember my, I have another friend named Steve. Seems like Steve's coming up a lot this morning. Uh, Name Steve. He was, uh, he was the manager of Nordstrom out at uh, Stone Ridge Mall. He was the whole store manager. And one day he invited me to come out and just kind of get to know a little bit about what he did. And uh, this was bef- before I even became senior pastor of our church. And I remember going out there and, and uh, meeting with Steve. We sat in the little deli there at the, at the store. And as a a mom came in with a couple of kids and she had a big tray of food after she'd ordered and she's going to the table and one of her kids got a little out of control and she was trying to hold on to him and he swung around and boom, everything went on the floor. And I thought for a second like, well, what's gonna happen here? And and Steve, in a three-piece suit, jumps right off his chair and he's, he's on his way down. He's grabbing the napkins that were on our tray. He's, a, a waiter's walking by and he grabs the, the towel off the waiter's waist and he's down there on his hands and knees and he's just swabbing up and he's telling his wait staff, hey, get, bring out the food. What did she order? Give her another order. And he's just, he's making this woman just all, everything taken care of. And he's in his three-piece suit. He's down on the floor and he's doing this. And they have no idea who he is. He's the store manager. He's the guy in charge of everybody there. That's amazing to me. And that has been a picture in my mind about what we need to do. Is there, is there a position we're in that we're just too big to get down to the needs of other people? 
Like, are we sort of like, look, you know, like in my position, I don't ever do that. I don't have, you know, we hire people to do those kinds of things. Hey, that's great. It's great that you can hire people to do things that you, so that you can focus on what you need to do. I get that. That's beautiful. But is there ever a time where you sit down, where you kneel down, where you get down to somebody's level in your work area? Do you ever come out of your position to help someone? That's what Jesus did for us. Who, although he existed in the, in, in the form of God, did not regard equality with God something to be grasped, but taking on the form of a servant and being made in the likeness of a man, he humbled himself to the point of death, Paul writes in Philippians 2, and became obedient to God. What a beautiful, beautiful tribute it is. We are never more like Jesus than when we humbly serve one another. And so look around. This week, here's your homework. First of all, who are you noticing that you haven't noticed before? And secondly, by the power of the Spirit of God, who can you serve this week? Who can you show service to this week? Thirdly, our love will be marked by forgiveness and reconciliation in our relationships. Oh, Peter says, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Verse six. And look at how Peter rejects Jesus in verse 8 no you shall never wash my feet in the Greek language the words you and my are in the emphatic tense you will never wash my feet this is an impossibility this is scandalous to Peter it is blowing his mind and he won't have any part of it and then Jesus squares him up and says look Peter uh you're clean, you've had a bath, but you need a daily cleansing. Watch this. Oh, this is so beautiful. You need a daily cleansing by my spirit. And you need to practice this with the people that are around you. Because as you go through your week, you're going to bump into people, you're going to step on people, you're going to soil your feet, and you're going to have some problems. And what my community is about, if you're not, if you're not, allowing me to daily cleanse you you've been washed you belong to me but if you don't accept my daily cleansing in your life you will never have the community that I've intended you to have where you stay soft and fresh before the Lord and when the people around you that wrong you rub you the wrong way step on you a little bit you're in bad relationship with you have to find a moment of cleansing with them too that's why Jesus said, as I've washed my feet, as I've washed your feet, so I've done this as an example for you to follow. Some have taken that quite literally. Like there are churches that literally build into their worship experience a foot washing ceremony. And I would hazard to guess that if we did that, that would bring humility to a lot of people. I mean, can you imagine right now, someone whip, right now, take your shoes off, your socks off, we're bringing trays down and you're gonna wash each other's feet. That would probably... Maybe some of your last time at Three Crosses, maybe. <laughs> maybe. But there is something beautiful about that humility. But that's, I don't believe Jesus was saying, I want you to have a foot washing service. He's saying you have to humble yourself and you need to accept the cleansing that I'm giving you and you need to cleanse those that are around you by the problems that you've had with each other. I had lunch with a guy this week and this he goes to a different church but I know this has happened in our church and it's an undoubtedly happened with me at times. Uh, a leader in his church, one of the pastors, offended him, offended his family with a decision he made, a choice that he made 
and it was so off-putting to him and it was so egregious to him and how it affected the family and I don't need to go into the story and he was trying to be cautious and telling me but it was really hurting him and at the end of about 25 minutes of sharing this and I felt very deeply for him I said hey have you talked to the guy he hasn't I said that's where it starts you need you need to go and talk and share what's happened in your heart and then forgive you know the Bible calls us as believers in Christ we are mandated to forgive those who sin against us some people say well I'm working on forgiveness no 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 you're commanded to forgive it's not an option reconciliation where the relationship comes back in beauty and harmony that requires some things are you getting this there's a difference between forgiveness and reconciliation but forgiveness is the door that leads or can lead to reconciliation reconciliation is not always possible because it depends on two parties two parties doing various things to bring around the reconciliation but some of us won't even start with forgiveness. And so when we see people say, ah, oh, that person, I'll never forgive them for what they said to me, what they did to me. Jesus said, when you pray, pray this way. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Right? Augustine called that the terrible petition. <laughs> forgive as I forgive. Nothing more beautiful than to forgive, to be freed from the jail of the imprisonment of being all uptight and all frustrated when you're around somebody. Reconciliation and forgiveness. That's what we're to practice. And you know right here, there's some of us in a crowd this size, there's some of us that are glad we're sitting in opposite ends of the room maybe. And we used to have great fellowship and we used to love each other, but now we just sort of, we just don't really associate anymore because you know what? We just... We're turned off by this person. Like I wish I could turn off my phone right now. What is wrong with you? <laughs> turn off, turn off. I have this little alarm, otherwise I'd preach for like two hours. What is wrong with this thing? Okay. Some of us need to clear some things up. Some of us need to take a walk across the room. Some of us need to start with a phone call or a note and say, it's been me, or forgive me. Um, and some of us need to not even bring it up because the person has no idea. And, you know, we sometimes bring stuff up like that just so we make other people feel bad. <laughs> you know, you didn't know that you really offended me, but you really did, and so I'm... I'm forgiving you for that. Thank you. I appreciate that very much. <laughs> in the most, or in the least invasive way possible to put your arm around somebody and say, I love you, care for you. Wouldn't it make a difference in the church if we really lived that way? Let's help each other. If I've ever offended you, I hope you'll talk to me. And I hope I haven't, or I hope I don't. <laughs> and I hope that's the way you feel too. Why would we want to offend a brother or sister in Christ? Okay, and lastly, our love is the mark of belonging to Jesus. Our love is the mark of belonging to Jesus. And this is where, in verse 35, Jesus said, by this all men will know that you're my disciples when you love 
one another. That means when you love each other in the body of Christ and it also means when you love people outside the body of Christ. Who are we gonna show love to this week? I mean really show love to this week. Not just with words, but with action. I met with a gal yesterday. It's a beautiful story. You know, she, she has a brother who comes to our church and her brother has met Christ and his life has been changed. And she's seen it. And it's very curious to her. And where I came into the picture is her brother started talking about me. (laughs) And I work out at the gym that she works at. (laughs) So she knew my name. She says, I know that guy. He works out at the gym. So one day, a couple weeks ago, she introduced herself and she said, I'm so-and-so's sister. And I just have to say, I don't know what's happened to my brother, but it's crazy good. And uh, I said, wow. I said, we should have coffee. So yesterday we had coffee. And she took the challenge. I gave her the gospel of John. I said, you want to know what's going on with your brother? And I, I share with her first. I gave her the gospel message, but I just got to know her. Wonderful young lady, 24 years old. I said, would you read the gospel of John one chapter a day for the next 21 days? She said, I absolutely will. Gave her a little gospel of John. And then I said, and would you come check out church sometime? I told her what to expect, how she'd come. She said, yeah, I'll come. And as she said that, I, in my heart, I'm thinking, I can't wait for her to meet God's people. And in a, a, a community of faith where she will be overwhelmed with the love of God's people. I can't wait for that. She might be here today. She might be sitting right next to you. And so the adventure begins. Today, today, today there are people all around us that need the love of Christ and his love working through his spirit is promised to transform our unloving hating hearts into people that reflect who he is that we belong to him let's pray